Hey, it's Ed. Ed Gallo from the Fight Site. I actually own the Fight Site, if you didn't know that. And I'm here to tell you about the ways that we make money. So the first way we make money is Patreon. If you subscribe on Patreon, you can get added to our Discord chat, get added to our Fight Prediction League, uh, and for higher tiers, you can actually request custom content. So I would say the majority of the content we create at this point is custom requests, uh, and that kind of drives what we create. So if you like reading our articles or listening to our podcast, what have you, uh, find the thing you like, request specifically what you want to hear or read or see if it's a video, and we have to make it. So <laughs> I really recommend doing that. That's that's the uh, the bulk of our business right now, and it's been very fun, and we really enjoy meeting you guys and hearing your opinions and getting to know you. So check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash fight site. Uh, the other ways we're making money are merchandise. So the first thing is our merchandise through Teespring. Uh, we do make money off of that, and that's a great you know, mutually beneficial exchange because you can get some cool fight site gear. We have crew neck sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, long sleeve, women's shirts, which are a different fit, uh, v-necks, t-shirts, tank tops, masks, mugs, uh, lots of different stuff we have going right now with like a really nice couple of different fight site logo designs. Uh, we tweet that out pretty regularly and it's also available in our Discord chat and we're working on a link for the website. Uh, but yeah, we will keep it out there, keep the link out there so you can get to our stuff because I think that's a fun way to support us. Uh, if you're looking for training gear, Hyperfly, we have an affiliate deal with a grappling brand named Hyperfly. If you use the link at the bottom of the pages of our website, you can purchase Hyperfly gear and we get a percentage basically if you use our link. Uh, I would say the attractive qualities of Hyperfly would be that they have a lot of discounted gear, so it's really high quality uh, geese and you know, grappling gear, uh, but there's like a thrift and clearance section, so you can get stuff for you know, normal gi prices, but it's really high quality, fashionable geese and uh, other, other varieties of clothing. So that's probably worth it, I would say. And that's it, that's it for advertisements. I will not tell you anything else. And now for the podcast. Okay, we're we're here for a special little preview episode, not really attached to any particular show, but this is this is a wrestling podcast. It's one of our wrestling podcasts, and you know the the wrestling for MMA podcast and wrestling comrades. I would say wrestling comrades is where we talk about things that are not MMA related that are wrestling. So I'm gonna say this is an offshoot of wrestling comrades. But yeah, I'm here with, with the dude Jack Hurley oldest oldest greatest oldest and greatest but the handle has no end in it but yeah we're going to talk about this flow wrestling freestyle pro card so uh, essentially a few weeks ago maybe it's a month ago at this point uh beat the street chicago and fight tv teamed up oh and the minnesota and uh illinois rtcs teamed up to put on a like a pro exhibition card and they uh they paid the athletes and it went to their rtcs it was a charity event but you know it, it was a pro it was a pro event and that was pretty good um a lot of guys who have like made national teams and you know pretty, pretty high level matchups uh and there was one uh high school women's match i believe and one hybrid greco freestyle i think they're calling it freako now uh between pat downey and joe rao so 
it was, it was, you know, for the event, the type of event that it was, it was very successful. I would say that it got buys. Uh, it got like several thousand buys on Fight TV. I'm pretty sure. So that that's a huge win right there <laughs> for those people. And the event was not well run, particularly, and the production value wasn't super high. But just the fact that they put on wrestling and you could watch it on camera and there hadn't been you know anything <laughs> happening until then that was a huge win so flow wrestling has had their event planned for a while as well uh it's in austin right jack yeah austin texas yeah so that's where flow hq is so they're holding it near home uh i think texas has some pretty relaxed uh laws during the quarantine if i'm right uh, i haven't looked that up but it's texas so i'm just gonna assume <laughs> that's how it's gonna be uh, so I don't know if they have any special precautions that they need to follow for this. I assume they do. Um, but yeah, they're putting on a freestyle pro card, and it's, it's you know the matchups are very high level. It's a specifically a men's freestyle pro card. Uh, no Greco matches, no women's freestyle matches, and there's been a ton of controversy about this ever since the matchups started coming out. And there wasn't that much controversy; like there was just kind of a buzz about it until Pat Downey everyone who knows wrestling at this point knows who that is uh started tweeting in defense of flow but not even defensive flow about like the logistics of putting these people on the card this that like as a rule people aren't interested in women's freestyle or greco and they're not as exciting or important and they should have to like grind and wrestle matches for free and like take big risks to get recognition uh and he just kept digging himself deeper and deeper into this hole uh, so there was a ton of discussion about the like you know inequality in wrestling about between women's freestyle and Greco and men's freestyle, and there is, I mean, hundred percent there is. Is it justified? Not to the extent of the inequality. I don't like <laughs> like the the pay rates that apparently and this is not confirmed, but there was talk of, of the pay difference between like Pat Downey and. Someone like Sarah Hildebrandt, who's a, a world silver, silver medalist, whereas Pat is a one-time world team member who went uh, one and one, I believe. It, you know, it, it just didn't make sense with the uh, disparity. I don't know disparity between their their pays. Uh, so there is a lot of valid ammunition on the side of this is wrong, uh, and Pat was kind of like the most vocal person on the other side of like, no, this is fine, and I totally understand if you don't think Greco is exciting because it's a whole different rule set uh it's really hard to justify not liking women's as a rule you can say you don't find as many women's wrestlers interesting or exciting just because maybe the sport isn't as developed at this point that's fair uh but you can't say you don't like women's freestyle because that's freestyle wrestling which you do like and you're just saying you don't like any of the athletes and there are plenty uh who are who are interesting to watch and fun to watch i would say it's not like women's mma where it's very rare to find someone who is who's tolerable and competent and stuff like that i mean it's it's really good now i've just talked down on this women's mma but i think in comparison you know women's wrestling is more developed at this point so he was in big trouble for that uh and there were consequences so jack do you want to delve into yeah the, he the, the, the uh he just kind of kept digging himself deeper. <laughs> uh, basically, every chance he got, he would make it worse. Uh, he ended up getting fired by the New Jersey RTC, which is like the club he trains at. He got uh, 
removed from the card, and then he got dropped by all his sponsors and his management company, uh, which is about as far as I've seen anybody fall in a week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was like the, a media darling before this because he would say outrageous stuff all the time. I mean, you could say that they let, let him go because he wasn't being a good ambassador for wrestling, uh, which he wasn't, but it's also true that he was never a good ambassador for wrestling. So it was a bit suspicious that now, after all this time, after all the stuff he said and all the stuff that flew around about him, uh, that this would be the thing that everybody cuts all ties. Uh, Yeah, Willie uh, Saylor and uh, T.R. Foley have both kind of hinted that it's beyond this, that he might be in some kind of serious legal trouble as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is definitely talk of, I mean, Safe Sport came up a lot around this time. There's a lot of subtweeting going on, a lot of indirect accusations. So uh, it's anyone's guess as to exactly what's going on. But I think just if you can piece together the evidence of what people are hinting at and circumstances around it, that he's in big trouble, uh, which is not really that surprising because I don't think a year straight has gone by without him being in trouble. So it's just, you know, the usual but yeah, it was, I mean, I think the biggest blow here is that his management company dropped him, and uh, I think that was Paradigm. I'm not sure what the full name is, but they, they managed some pretty high-profile MMA fighters, and that was kind of the next stage of his career, and it doesn't really matter, typically, how bad you tarnish your reputation and whatever you're doing beforehand. You, you always have a future in MMA. I think that's been made abundantly clear by the actions of UFC and a lot of other organizations, but... Yeah, if your management company for MMA is dropping you, I think you're going to have a hard time. Uh, and depending on how serious the uh, whatever else is going on with him, you might not see him in athletics anymore at all, which would be uh, it would be pretty sudden. Like you said, it was, it was a very steep fall. And he's been around yeah. for a long time. But yeah. Th- the bright side been... is we can uh, stop talking about him. Yeah, yeah. He's... Uh, he, he's pretty fun to watch some of the time i think depending on the level of opposition because he's he's always been a a folk and freestyle guy who's you know good in upper body positions which is a little bit rare sometimes uh so you saw a lot of feet to back from him and some cool moments uh that i can remember a few he pinned uh jared hot at ncaa's to become an all-american he um he lat dropped i believe a double overthrew i think it was a double over his throw uh, Kyle Kretschmer, that was that was a big one when he's wearing his Banff singlet. So he's he's definitely had some exciting wrestling moments. It's not like he's terrible to watch, uh, but I think his marketability came from being a controversial character. So it, it's all been pretty overblown, and, and it's safe to say that Flow Wrestling was the biggest culprit there. They really got behind him. It's not the first time they've gotten behind someone with a lot of energy when they weren't exactly in the position to be deserving that much attention. And it's, it's been a subject that's come up a million times with them about, you know, what drives their their media. Like, why do they put out the content yeah. that they do? And, and, and I think that's part of why people were so upset about them not promoting women's wrestling is they say, well, you know, it doesn't draw, it doesn't get viewers. Well, you guys have, you know, they flow wrestling, have a lot of power to set mm-hmm. the agenda for what people in wrestling are going to care about. And they, if, if, they wanted to could promote women's wrestling and make it a much bigger thing and they just choose not to yeah that's always bothered me 
like they say that they, they go with what gets clicks, but they are pretty close to having a monopoly on, on the sport in terms of, of media. Uh, and they, they absolutely control the narrative and they, they could change a lot if they change things up. But I get that like the personalities themselves maybe beholden to other forces and, and have directives. But just, I mean, I place the blame on the company as a whole, not any, I'm not pointing fingers at any one person. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's constant. It's constant with them. So uh, I just feel like the past six months or so, the heat has really been turned up. There's a lot more scrutiny on how they operate. Uh, and, you know, a lot of other media members are speaking up. And I think they lost a little bit of their initiative uh, when they, I don't know, they, they didn't go very far with Black Lives Matter, I would say. A lot of other outlets didn't just put out a statement, they, they attempted to change and they, they shifted their coverage and they tried to be more fair and more inclusive and try to let you know other people have voices. I feel like Flow Wrestling, it's been business as usual since then and in some ways it's gotten worse. Um, there was a deleted tweet and a deleted Instagram post of the poster for this card that we're about to talk about and I'm sure it was just some sort of oversight, but it was a terrible oversight to make that the card, the poster, it was all the athletes facing off, some were on the left, some were on the right, and all of the white athletes <laughs> were on the left, and all of the, the people of color, for the most part, were on the right, and it was like, just, you, you couldn't have made a worse mistake at this time, so uh, they are not well-liked right now, even compared to, to usual, so we're, we're heading into this card at a, a high state of, of flow disappointment. I don't even know how you make that mistake, honestly, but it, it wasn't even structured in terms of, uh, you know, who's, you know, the bigger name. Someone said it was alphabetized, which I think was almost true. Either way, they've made things much harder for themselves than they needed to be. Uh, but hopefully there's at least some good matches. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the matches. I'd love to talk about them. So let's talk about the matches. Enough uh, state of wrestling media, but I feel like you're just being, you know, disingenuous if you don't say anything at this point because it's so crazy. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think people are pretty much oversaturated with it in this bubble. But it, a lot of you guys are going to be MMA and other combat sports fans listening to this. So definitely hit us up if you want to go deeper into this because there is there is so much more that we could say but we're not going to just yet the history of all this um it's interesting for sure but let's talk about wrestling instead okay so the first matchup is uh two pretty high profile college competitors uh, i think jack miller is graduated now is that right yeah, his senior year was the uh, the cancel tournament. Yeah, and, and Roman Bravo Young, who I think still has eligibility left. So uh, Mueller wrestled for University of Virginia. He was an NCAA finalist. And uh, Roman Bravo Young is uh, at Penn State. They're both uh, – well, I think Mueller was at 25 the whole time, or did he bump up? He had one year at 33. One year at 33, and RBY has been at 33 the whole time. Uh, yeah, RBY, you might know him because he did a Colat flip. <laughs> and then injured himself, but I think people just saw the Colette flip. They didn't know that he injured himself after. Um, I think it was a different time that he did the Colette flip that he injured himself, but I think that kind of uh, speaks to what makes him interesting right off the bat. Uh, super dynamic type of wrestler. Um, very creative. Very patient, I would say, as well. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, 
even though it was it, it was bittersweet because he beat my guy Mickey Philippi. I'm a Pitt fan, so he beat Mickey Philippi at NCAAs in the blood round. But the way it happened was Philippi kept going to this two on one, and he uh, every once in a while, he, I mean, he just holds from the two on one. He doesn't really attack from there ever. Uh, every once in a while, he'd like look for a little foot sweep just so he didn't get called for stalling. It's it's such a it's not a, it's not a good strategy. Uh, it's deliberate stalling, but he makes it work for him. Anyway, Roman Bravo Young timed the foot sweep like the fourth or fifth time he did it and took him down with the, to win the match. So, I mean, I appreciated that that strategy. And uh, I think another example of his uh, very patient, very uh, focused game planning, maybe taking things too far sometimes, is with Austin DeSanto. It was him who put his arm behind his back, right? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, do you want to explain what how Austin DeSanto wrestles? Yeah, so he... He's improved a little bit, but he basically has one move, or at least one setup, where everything is off of elbow control on your left arm. Uh, so Kenny Kortz, uh, who used to wrestle for Ohio State, had a funny tweet that next person to leave their left arm out for DeSanto, their coach needs to amputate it, <laughs> because you you seriously are better off wrestling him without your left arm. And so, you know, Stevan Michic kind of showed... If you just keep your arm free, don't let him get it, you can beat him easily. Uh, and Bravo Young did that by just putting his left arm in his back pocket and wrestled about half the match with his arm completely behind his back. Still I mean, won. That's not, a, uh, that's not the typical strategy you would see, but I just appreciate how uh, how literally he interprets strategies sometimes. Yeah. Like, just wait until he does the foot sweep or put your arm behind your back. Like Take away the arm. He's like, okay, I will literally do that. Um, so that's fun. I'm sure there's a lot more to his game than I'm missing. Uh, and then with Jack Mueller, my, my very cursory understanding is he is, you know, crazy, crazy good on top, you know, great control, great rides. He rides with boots in a lot, which might not translate it as quickly, uh, to freestyle turns, but I know he's great in the mat. And I think he's one of those guys kind of like Seth Gross, even though Seth Gross also, you know, is competitive at the age group level for, uh, for freestyle. I mean, he, they both made a uh, world teams, I believe. At the same time, they both surprise me sometimes with how effective they are from neutral. Because I always thinking them think of them as mat wrestlers and top guys, and then they uh, take people down I regard pretty highly. <laughs> uh, with you know not not anything special on the feet usually. It's just typically a, a janky single entry, and they work their way through it. But I, I haven't watched got, as much. Mueller's got some pretty good leg attacks. Yeah, He's do you want to go clean. into more more about these two? Yeah, I guess Mueller, I especially like. He's got a couple clean leg attacks. Uh, and he wrestles lefty, which I think at the college level and at kind of the lower levels can give people a hard time. But he's really good in freestyle because he's got a good head pinch and a chest wrap if you shoot on him. And then on top, like you said, he's he does a high gut, which is in some ways the closest thing to uh, – a folk style turn where you, you get a lot of forward pressure and you get your legs in. Uh, he, he's got a good lace and a good regular gut as well, I think. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Any specific breeds on uh, on RBY as well? Uh, now the the one thing that stood out to me was how often he gets stuck in the wizard position. Like he'll take a shot. He'll take either a single leg or a double leg and switch off to a single, and then he won't get the leg up cleanly, and he'll get stuck in the wizard position, and he'll have to fight through it. And I think that could be more of a problem in a freestyle match where 
you know, being stuck underneath without finishing your leg attack, uh, you can get scored on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, I've been sleeping on Mueller a little bit as, as a neutral wrestler because, I mean, just easy, easy disclosure. Jack watches way more college than I do, especially in these past couple of years. I, I hope I watch more freestyle at this point because I pretty much only watch freestyle. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot I don't know about a lot of these guys coming out from college, even though I've, I've watched them for a while. But watching things just to watch them and watching them with the intent of analysis is usually pretty different. Uh, you don't you don't try to remember these kinds of details. So I'm yeah, I had to rewatch a lot of this stuff. Takes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say that uh, at, at first glance, I was like, this is it's freestyle. RBY is better on his feet. I don't think Miller is going to get to his game. Uh, but you've convinced me otherwise that he's going to get his moments in the RBY's offense. I mean, isn't so clean that they're not going to end up in scramble situations where Mueller can shine. Uh, not that RBY is a bad scrambler at all. I think Mueller's just a little bit of, of an elite talent in that respect. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm now leaning towards Mueller to win this match. You've convinced me. Yeah, I'm going to take Mueller. I think he... I, I don't know how much this has changed but he i know was going to the nyc rtc nice. after college which is usually uh very good at development getting guys to kind of jump levels mm-hmm. uh and, and he, he was already very skilled to begin with he got like fourth or something at world team trials last year mm-hmm. uh and even though he wrestled at a smaller weight in college i think he's going to be uh doing just fine in terms of size so, Mueller's a pick here for me. Cool. I'm glad we agree. I hope it's just a good match, and I think it will be. I think this is going to be one of the more exciting matches of the night. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So, I believe next is Pletcher next? No. Uh, probably yeah. Arujao Alvarez. Yeah, Alvarez. So, uh, Vito Arujao, I don't know if he uh, – is he an All-American yet in college? Yeah, he was. Yeah. His and freshman he's a, year. a junior world silver medalist, which is more important. Uh, so he's very good at freestyle and then uh, Sammy Alvarez was he declared because this was his freshman year right was he declared an All-American at the end of the year uh, I don't know he was seated pretty high I don't know if he was top 8 or what their cutoffs were or anything mm-hmm. but he had a pretty decent true freshman year yeah he beat Mickey Phillippe he, uh, who was declared an All-American so you can you can call that an AA win uh, and yeah he, he just looked pretty much up the whole time had a couple setbacks but that's just kind of like typical freshman stuff uh, so he looked really solid do you want to give your your initial thoughts on each of these guys uh no they're both really really tall and lanky like this match is probably going to break some kind of record for like lowest combined ankle diameter or something <laughs> uh but i think Arujo kind of uses his length more effectively. He's he's able to kind of hit the like the arm drag wrap around where you you go inside arm drag and then outside arm reach around uh, and he can get go behinds pretty easily. He's good off the two on one uh, and he, he's able to kind of shoot from what seems like too far away, but then he gets in a good position uh, and then he's he's really good on top and he's got good kind of freestyle scrambling with, you know, grabbing the far ankle and things like that. Uh, and then Alvarez kind of has some of the the problems you see with being long and lanky where they aren't really able to 
move people around in the ties uh, and just, just kind of hoping to get on the mat where, he, you know, he's very good in the top position in folk style. Uh, but I don't know how well it's going to translate to freestyle because he hasn't wrestled that very much. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of hard. He, I guess, just chose not to wrestle freestyle in high school. And he's had one year of college, so we just don't really know how freestyle is going to go for him. Right. It just sounds like the the basic dynamics of the matchup. Because I, I had you research those for me because I don't remember how either of them wrestles. And uh, just based on your breakdown that, that you sent to me and, and how you're describing it now, uh, it just sounds like Vito's game is a lot more clean and obviously more freestyle-centric. I mean, he's been preparing for freestyle his whole life um, mm-hmm. you know, because of his father's you know pedigree in that regard. So he's been coming in uh, you know on this trajectory the whole time. Uh, he's probably adjusted his folk more than he's had to adjust to freestyle. Um he's always had ways of like getting big exposures off attacks and positions that you wouldn't normally think that you'd be able to convert from. He's got great hips and great like head, head levers and elbow control. And I mean, it's a very international, it's a very Russian style. Some people might say, um, so I, I think he's probably going to dust him up and, you know, just if you're saying that Alvarez really can't help himself, but get in bad positions and expose himself when he wrestles all the time. Cause he likes to scramble through. Uh, it just doesn't sound like it, it bodes well. Yeah. And, and not that he would forget it's a freestyle match and roll across his back, right. just that he's not not good at defending without doing that. Because he, mm-hmm. he had some really good wins and had competitive matches with some really good guys in college last year, but it was basically what saved him was rolling across his back every time. Right, right. which is fine in folk for the most mm-hmm. part, but you should probably be... I mean, I, I think at this point, if you have aspirations to be at this level kind of be like Yanni where you, you treat those situations like, like freestyle as much as you can so you don't you know develop any bad habits you don't like let yourself get away with things because uh, time time's a waste at that level like you don't know how long your body's going to hold up and you see a mm-hmm. lot of guys have a lot their success right after college uh, when they're still in their their early physical prime for because wrestling I think the primes are a lot shorter yeah um, well, it's, it's also I think because guys are getting so intense at such a young age they're mm-hmm. shorter than they used to be or they're, they're they're earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. you know I mean, like like instead of being twenty four to twenty seven, it's twenty one to twenty four. Right, you're getting your ten thousand hours like by college usually. Yeah. For most of these guys, they've been wrestling since they were six years old, uh, so it comes quick. So you got you got to seize those opportunities and be ready technically for for what your body's gonna be able to produce. Um, and then there's always outliers. There's a bunch of guys that stick around for a long time, but for the most part, people flame out. Uh, right around those those couple years after college. Plus, I mean, it's just a, it's a decision point. You have to decide if you're going to keep trying to wrestle, if you're going to coach, or what you're going to do. Um, so I think also by choice, a lot of people don't stick around. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I think generally it, it's a good idea to have. So I think we're pretty much solid on Arujo Alvarez. I'm looking forward to that one, too, just because I love watching Vito wrestle, and I, you know, hopefully Alvarez can surprise me a little bit, and I can get excited about him in the future because – uh, a lot of uh, he's Rutgers, right? He transferred, or he he's always Rutgers. Uh, Alvarez is Rutgers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, those guys wrestle hard, and yeah. as much as it's fun to root against the program because they're Jersey, I'm Philly. I mean, that's still, I I, I enjoy their uh, their spirit. <laughs> so, another PA guy coming up here for me, uh, Luke Pletcher, the the short king, for us all. He tweeted today about being short. So he's uh, fully, fully aware of it and embraces it. And I think that, you know, being short is a personality trait, if you try to disagree with me. 
Um, there's proof right there. Who was he originally scheduled to wrestle? Uh, Anthony Ashnall. Interesting. Who who's also Rutgers and I think kind of a lot bigger. Yeah, he was a 49's whole career basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pletcher was a 33, an undersized 41, and then probably a full size 41 by the end. Um, but yeah, it's it's so tough to talk about this matchup because he is wrestling Darian Caldwell, uh, NCAA champ for NC State. What year was that? Pre 2010. I think 2009. 2009. Uh, 11 years ago, ago, yeah. (laughs) And it's not like he's been wrestling freestyle this whole time. Uh, He's been an MMA fighter for for the majority of the time that's gone by, and maybe he's done a couple exhibitions in this time period in between that sounds familiar, but he has not been wrestling competitively, especially not at the the peak of his career so far like Luke Fletcher is. Um, And say what you will about Luke Fletcher. Uh, if you don't like his style, that's that's one thing because he, he does get a little more low volume sometimes at the elite levels. But, I mean, he's very consistent uh, typically, and he was the number one guy for a couple points this year in college and a pretty tough weight. Uh, whereas Caldwell was like a you know transcendent type of talent when he was when he was the man in college. But uh, eleven years is a long time. But how would you how do you think that you guys would match up, assuming that Caldwell is you know, the best version of himself? I don't really know. It's it's hard to find footage of Caldwell wrestling freestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a few matches from uh, the last chance qualifier in 2012 when I think he was not 100% in terms of health. Uh, and, and that was his last wrestling competition, I think, before he started MMA. Uh, but the... It, it was really tough for me to find a comparable matchup that Pletcher's had. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing is that Caldwell doesn't usually hold great position. He kind of stands up high in his stance mm-hmm. and just counts on like having really good second layer defense when they get to his legs. Uh, and Pletcher, I think, has done very well against those guys, the way he chewed up like Chad Red and uh, Tristan Moran and Mitch McKee this past mm-hmm. season in college, and those guys are maybe not on the same level as Caldwell, but I think it's a similar style, and Pletcher completely had his way with those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking of Chad Red and Mitch McKee, <laughs> thinking of them together, because, I mean, they're both fairly dynamic, but McKee is much more eager to go upper body and try to hit big moves on you. Uh, super strong, obviously, whereas, you know, Chad Red can tie you up. He's lanky, you know, he, I think he cradled Pletcher in high school at like a who's number yeah. one or something like that. Um, so, I mean, those are the kinds of guys that I would say used to give him problems, at least as far as Red goes. Uh, but being at Ohio State really gave Pletcher that process with his attack. And his his neutral game is very Ohio State. He's, he's very, you know, snap, high C, sweep, single, double, uh, which, I mean, you don't really need more than that. But, you know, very physical, heavy pressure, not, not super high pace, uh, just very methodical. And it's fun because when he got later into his career and he got more confident with that and he grew in physically to 41, he was able to put a pace on people and uh, muscle people around the mat and, like, really, you know, score a lot of points, which is what you want to see in college most of the time. So I think if he's anything near that level where he can get to the legs consistently, uh, I feel like with all of Caldwell's time off the mat competitively, that that's got to be one of the last things to come back. Like you're, 
your flow and a scramble and like your timing mm-hmm. on reacting to things and your defense i feel like is not going to be there is yeah because that was one thing that more really dynamic offense yeah one thing that pleasure really did well was kind of capitalizing on little mistakes and guys kind of bringing themselves out of position and that seems like something that if you haven't wrestled like wrestled for a wrestling match in eight years that's probably one of the hardest things to get back is just being super super disciplined about your positioning mm-hmm. are we unanimous so far <laughs> i think so yeah oh, we'll, we'll try to change that but these are uh these are all compelling matchups don't get yeah, i mean i guess you can yeah i mean the, the the case for caldwell you could say is okay even though he fights at 135 or has fought at 135 i think he's going to be a much right larger human than Pletcher, uh and, and could give him problems with his takedown uh with his finishes you know caldwell's kind of most famous for beating brent metcalf and a big part of how he won that match was uh defending when metcalf got to his legs caldwell would end up kind of sitting in the corner and getting his own takedown mm-hmm. uh and he can kind of just drop in on legs from too far away because his arms are so long and he he's probably the I, I don't know if this is true but there's a good chance he's the <laughs> tallest person Pletcher's really wrestled mm-hmm. and it, it could give him issues right did Pletcher ever I, I don't why I'm pick, uh, for some reason I'm picturing Tommy Thorne as being really tall is Tommy Thorne really tall he's he's pretty tall probably not as tall as Darren Caldwell That's he, the I think he was also at, at 49 to end his career so I don't think they ever hit oops I don't know why I assumed that. That was a weird thing that jumped in my mind. Okay, let's move on. So, originally, David Taylor, 2018 world champion, two-time NCAA champion, two-time Hodge. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. He at least won it once, but I think twice. Um, You know, just definitely one of the golden boys of wrestling, for sure. Uh, Penn State, obviously. He was going to wrestle Pat Downey, who is an All-American and made the 2019 world team when Taylor was injured. And Downey has also a win over Baranowski at the international level, and that is more or less his entire the entirety of his credentials at the senior level. Um, he had some age group stuff as well. That's not super relevant at this point, you know. However, many years removed from that, uh, that was a squash match. Taylor was definitely going to attack him. It would not have been competitive at all, but it was going to be funny because you know Downey is himself, and he talked a lot of trash. And you know, we want to see Taylor come back and wrestle well and. Uh, start beating people up again so that was going to be a nice return to form but you know all the stuff we talked about the intro happened and Danny was removed from the card and then later he said he removed himself from the card in protest of no women's or greco matches on the card which was an interesting attempt at a cover-up um did that no nobody saw through that one i'm sure so he was replaced by miles martin who is an ncaa champion who beat taylor's teammate bo nickel twice three times out of seven or eight two yeah two out of seven or something two out of seven <laughs> uh they wrestled a lot but he did beat him twice uh miles martin is currently ranked by flow wrestling number eight in the world for context seth patera's rankings which i think have been more consistently correct and proven over time and also you know i think seth does more research and knows more in general about these things uh Seth does not have Miles Martin ranked in, in the top 20. So number eight versus not ranked 
is the disparity between these rankings. If you want to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt and split the difference and say he's somewhere between 15 and 25, that's fair. He's on, he's on a nice little streak internationally. He's been going to some lower level international tournaments and winning matches. And uh, I guess the the rankings at 86 kilograms are pretty shaky sometimes. Like everyone beats each other. So I, I believe the ranker, John Kozak, who's a super nice guy for Flow Wrestling, saw that. And he explained it to me. He saw that, that Martin's on, on the streak and, you know, he beat Daringer. And, you know, that's something. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he threw him in there, which... I think putting him in the rankings is fair enough. Number eight just seems a little wild. It's also one of those things where, you know, it, it may be that, you know, year to date, he's number eight. No one's going to really expect him to hold there long term. Right, right. Just a little little tribute, I guess, to the run that he's having. Um, so fair enough, fair enough. And you got to, sometimes you got to stand for your for your boys. Sometimes you gotta, you know, do big things for for the Americans. I get it; they get a little bump in the rankings for, for being American. So Miles Martin wrestled for Ohio State. Uh, I've always enjoyed watching him wrestle. He he can go upper body. Uh, he's got a great swing single, which is obviously my favorite shot entry. Uh, very dynamic wrestler. Uh, you know, very well rounded. I would say. Uh, just you know, a, a cool guy in general. I've I've always liked him. <laughs> and he's uh, huge is another great thing on his side he is adjusting to freestyle very well he's had a couple of hiccups in the early goings uh, he did lose to Pat Downey last year two years ago I, I think 2019 like US Open he lost to him and it was yeah, like he, he was winning like 7-1 to yeah, one and gassed really bad him and then like very late comeback by Downey I think he might have faded a little bit um, but yeah so, I mean, he, he's pretty much getting there, like we said. He's done enough that somebody reasonable can consider him top eight in the world, which is a big deal. Um, but, yeah, he's wrestling David Taylor, who is, like, the quintessential Kale Sanderson clone. Uh, him and Bo really, really do do all the Kale things. Uh, they're, they're heavy snappers. You know, he likes to drop to the ankle pick. But his, the thing that sets him apart, uh, I, I would say, is his scrambling ability at this weight. Bo Nichols a great scrambler, too, don't get me wrong, but I think Bo takes a few more chances and is more willing to you know maybe give up points to try to hit something big and it hasn't translated as quickly to freestyle where taylor has basically figured out freestyle scrambling he knows how to not expose himself and uh when he's going with other 86 kilogram guys he usually gets them tired pretty quickly when they have to have these long exchanges with them that's basically what happened to a hassan yasdani chirati at worlds when they wrestled not the world cup but at worlds uh Hassan Yazdani Chirati adjusted really well after the first time wrestling Taylor and he just kept making him work and like having to go through these exchanges with him and he couldn't keep up so uh, Taylor gasses people all the time I mean his real coming out party was that uh that 2018 World Cup which I believe is where we watched him last where he teched or pinned everybody he wrestled and he wrestled a bunch of world champions and medalists um Say he's the real deal. He he's clearly the number one guy at eighty six kilograms when he's competing. Uh, he's been out for a while because he injured his knee against Drew Foster at Beat the Streets, and that was maybe a few months after Worlds, uh, after twenty eighteen Worlds. Maybe yeah, it was year. like spring of twenty nineteen. Right. So it was a little bit before Worlds, and then yeah, he got injured way too close to it. And that's how the the whole Downey situation crept in, but. He's back, and he wrestled at Pan Am's, I believe, before COVID. 
Um, so he has competed and he has been winning and looks pretty much like himself. So uh, what do you think of the matchup between these two? Uh, it's, it's hard for me to tell how it's going to play out. Um, cause it seems like miles is usually, I don't know, like the more finesse guy in his matchups. Cause mm-hmm. 184 in college and 86, uh, on the kind of domestic senior level circuit is a lot of like really solid hand fighters. It's, you know, Sammy Brooks and. Taylor Venz and Max Dean type of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's done really well with creating misdirection against those type of guys. Um, and it, I just don't really know how the, the, the best comparison is probably Bo Nickel. And like you said, they're not exactly the same. Uh, but, but he has struggled a bit more against guys who are maybe a little bit looser in their wrestling, a little bit longer, longer limbed so they can, uh, you know, catch his ankles and scrambles and things like that. I I don't think it's as one sided as some people are making it out to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it I am gonna pick Taylor and sure. probably Taylor by Tech. Um, but I, I think it's a decent match. Uh, Miles might have a few things for him. Yeah, I, I think he can go with him for for a bit at least. I think he you maybe he'll score on him. That'd be awesome. I wouldn't put it past him to score on him. Uh. Taylor Tech isn't like, oh my god, he's so much better than Martin. It's just because Techs come pretty quickly in freestyle, and if you fade a little bit versus David Taylor, he's going to build on that and, and probably take you out. So even if he has a small advantage, like I said, Olympic champion, multiple-time world champion, Hassan Yazdani Chirati, clearly the second-best guy at the weight, pinned him and then beat him pretty wide uh, the second time. Like you, you can't escape <laughs> if you're losing at all. Um, so it, it's not saying that Martin's bad at the weight, obviously. He's, he's very good, and he's going to continue mm-hmm. to be very good. But, yeah, Taylor, uh, with any sort of advantage, is going to probably finish you off. Yeah, that's part of it is he, he can widen the gap. If he gets a takedown into a lace and suddenly it's it's 6-0, when it doesn't feel like you've done that much wrong. But it's that, you know, he goes down 6-0, that's probably more points than Martin scores the whole match. Mm-hmm. So again, we're we're agreed. We've agreed on every match so far, but I think we've done hopefully a decent job yeah. showing that they are. All right. To go back to uh, the Pletcher match. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Pletcher's true freshman year at 141, he did wrestle Tommy Thorne. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh He lost six to two. Uh, got ridden on top for quite a long time. That's fair. Uh, and there was a position where Pletcher was in on the leg in on a single and couldn't reach the far leg. So you're right that the length could could mean something here. That was also when he was not really a 41. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. take it with a, a grain of salt. He's also taking a lot more double legs now where reaching the far leg isn't as much of an issue and where scrambling gets taken out of play a little bit because you can just pick them up in the air. Mm-hmm. Which he's very good at doing, and most of the Ohio State guys are good at doing. Cool. So I think that, that adds a little more weight to our, our Pletcher pick. Uh, it feels like the, the logical thing to do to pick him there. Yeah, I mean, I mean in the the other matches, like when Ben Askren would come out and wrestle one-off 
matches against who do you wrestle like Clayton Foster, Clayton Foster and he lost went up 10 on him yeah yeah he he almost lost to Mike Poeta who wrestled at 157 in college wasn't uh, beating Tony Ramos and then Ramos pinned him I have no idea when was that that was at Aegon that was like the first one they did yeah, that, that sounds familiar. Actually, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what happened in the match. Like super well, and then yeah. he gassed, and then is that the one that like they don't have the footage of? <laughs> I think so. Like uh, Metcalf wrestled Aaron Pico, and they like got in a fight or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and and no one knows what happened. Uh, there have been so many attempts at pro leagues and wrestling, and none of them have worked. And all of the cards have been perfectly fine. Uh, every time they announce it, like it's going to be this huge thing that they're going to keep doing, and then what's the most anyone's done? Two events? Yeah, Flow had like five or four or five, but they were usually like like the the first one or two were big, and then it was like mostly high school matches, and they do like mm-hmm. one or two senior well, matches at the end. High school, cause you, not yeah, it, it was only like <laughs> two pro matches per card, and then they stopped doing that, that too. Mm-hmm. Now they just like put senior wrestle offs at Fargo. But yeah. doesn't do that, but you know, that's what people do. Um, that's where you house matches that you don't have an event for and you just put them in Fargo. So yeah, the wrestling really needs a pro league. I mean outside of the United States there are pro leagues and they pay okay. I mean there's the uh, the Indian Pro League, the German Pro League, the Iranian Pro League. They say German already. That's the, yeah. that's probably the biggest one. Um, they, they exist. <laughs> they exist. But uh, it's it needs to make its way to the United States because uh, I think they're gonna need it more than ever, pretty soon if these college uh, colleges keep dropping their programs. Wrestling's gonna need some help, and if these guys get paid, that would definitely keep the sport alive a lot more than it might be if uh, if things drop off significantly. So mm-hmm. this is a big event, I would say, for the sport. It needs to do well. People need to enjoy it. It needs to work its way around. And I kind of wish. Flow would uh, get the footage out there, and I hope they do, and they don't try to, you know, hide it away so people will be more likely to, to resubscribe or anything like that. I don't think they would do that. I think they genuinely want the card to be thought about <laughs> for yeah. people to see it and be like, oh wow, that was cool that happened on Flow. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be it's a big moment. I would say this is like the first high-profile return of wrestling, the one that like a lot of more more casual wrestling fans if you can if you can call it wrestling fan casual are gonna pay attention to this so uh i'm really hoping it, mm-hmm. it works out despite my my displeasure with flow cool yeah this is i don't know if this is the right time to talk about it but Go for it, it seems like flow is desperate to avoid losing subscribers at this point or mm-hmm. i mean there's been no wrestling for the last four months there's nothing in sight uh the state of california just announced that they're going to put wrestling as a spring sport um with the state tournament in like june and who knows if that even happens uh more and more colleges are canceling fall sports uh for a, a company that's basically based around live events at this point uh they're they're in a tough position and so i think we may see more of these these I'm, type of events that they try and get eyeballs in i'm i'm for it because i want to watch the events but i'm also against it because i 
don't think the event should be happening for the safety of everyone involved. Uh, but like, I it's the same reason why you know, businesses risk being open because if you don't, you're probably done for. So, I totally I totally get why you yeah. do it. Um, and the sport the sport honestly it does need it, and I just hope they're taking every precaution possible to make sure that this isn't a disaster in any way. Because that would suck. And with that being said, <laughs> we're going to talk about the main event, which is Kyle Dake, two-time world champion, four-time NCAA champion, uh, definitely legend of, of the sport, versus Frank Camizo, who is a two-time world champion, Olympic bronze medalist, and multiple-time world medalist. Uh, Camizo is definitely internationally one of the most well-known athletes, partially because he's just amazing to watch. I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit but also because he is dripping with swag and has a big Instagram presence and like has definitely made himself a bit of a personality um, that, that reaches a little bit beyond the sport. I think internationally it just seems like based on his the numbers <laughs> that he does. So it's a big get to have him on this card, and it's a uh, it's more or less a catch weight bout. Dake has been competing at 79 kilograms uh, for the past couple of years now that they opened up the weight class. Uh, coming back down to 74 for the Olympic year to challenge Jordan Burroughs and, and, and go for that spot. Camisa has been up at 74 for a few years now, basically ever since the Olympics. And uh, he is pretty much a full-size 74 at this point. He's still someone that had to grow into the weight class, whereas Dake is someone that had the opportunity to grow out of the weight class, and now they're competing at that higher weight class. So not totally a, <laughs> a, a proportionate matchup. Dake's definitely bigger. But it's still a really interesting matchup. So, Jack, what what are your? Let's start with Dake. What do you make of Dake at this point as a freestyler? Yeah, so I'll be uh, I'll be doing an article on this coming out in a few days, mm-hmm. um, and so you you guys can all maybe read a bit more about it then or get some visual aids with it. But basically, Dake uh, holds position really really well, where he's really hard to get out of his stance. Uh, he's really hard to get an angle on. He's really hard to get his head down. Uh, he likes to he likes to control ties like underhooks and two on ones, where it's kind of he can do stuff, but you can't. Uh, he and he, he's really good at scoring from those positions. Uh, really good uh, when guys get to his legs at stopping them from scoring, uh, and then hitting them with a, you know, a chest wrap or whatever. He's got a lot of highlights of taking people over when they shoot on his legs. Uh, really good on top in parterre with his gut wrench. Um, the way I've described him sounds very boring. Like he's, <laughs> oh, he just stands there. And then he does, but he, he hits a lot of big moves. Uh, he does shoot sometimes uh but he his the excitement in his matches usually comes from when he he gets a go behind or he gets you in a bad position off your shot and then he can he can throw people for four sometimes five Mm -hmm. i think those individual elements of his game have, have pretty much always been there for freestyle i mean he did make a go for a greco team i think he made a greco cadet team uh, so, I mean, the upper body's always been there. The counters mm-hmm. have always been there. The defense, for the most part, has been there. The top game's been there. Uh, but all separated, I would say, at this point, I would, I would say what 
distinguishes yeah. him from his uh, pre-world champion days and his world champion days besides the addition of the weight class. Uh, but the biggest adjustment adjustment he made to beat someone like uh, Ahmed Gazimagomedov would probably be mm-hmm. the way that he transitions between the parts of his game and like yeah. leads people into them and, and makes the matches his types of matches. Yeah. Uh, he has been really reactive in the past and either, like you said, you know, stopping people from doing what they're doing until they do the one thing that he wants them to do uh, or just having them do nothing at all or they just completely shoot mm-hmm. into something that he can counter. Um, like you said, the huge chest wraps and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But like a, a small example would be like he has plans. He thinks steps ahead at this point. Uh, he, he sets you up. He knows how to get from one space to the other in his game. Uh, if you shoot a leg attack on him and he like sits the corner and tries to go uh, like uh, crotch lock on you, try to expose with your crotch, uh, flattens you out from that. Then once you're flat, you can get the hips back and go chest wrap. Uh, or use the chest wrap to flatten you out. Then <laughs> once you're flat, then go back to the crotch lock. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the transitions are there. Uh, same with upper body. Uh, he's been getting a little more deliberate about shooting himself into underhooks and uh, deliberately mm-hmm. you know, trying to get into body locks and trying to pursue those upper body positions instead of like, you know, almost accidentally getting into them out of scrambles. Uh, just, you know, a lot more intention behind his game, which I think is super smart, especially as you go up on weight and you, you don't want to. Uh, you don't want to have to do more at a heavy, heavier weight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you want to, you know, make your actions count uh, a bit more, especially if people are, are going to be bigger. Um, so I, I would say those are the ad- adaptations for Dick's game. He's always going to have those X factors, like freakish flexibility and strength. And I would say in in match intelligence, he's very smart about knowing exactly what he needs to do, or exactly what he has to do to still win. Uh, it, it sounds corny, and people say this stuff in wrestling a lot, but like he's a winner it's a skill winning mm-hmm. he knows exactly how to win matches and he almost always does it uh, very very rarely loses even if he is kind of being outgunned uh, there have been plenty of situations where he got out wrestled and he should have lost the match and he pulled off something crazy to not give up a point I think of the Andrew Howe uh, one of the mm-hmm. many Andrew Howe matches where he was should have given up something <laughs> off the single leg of Andrew Howe and there's a point where he uh, he turns to kick out and he kicks out so hard that, you know, his back is facing Andrew Howe. And he, like, scoots off. like butts When he, when he, he turns, like, off. the wrong, like, the opposite <laughs> way you think he's going to turn. Yeah. Yeah, like the 2015, like, World Team Trial semis or something. Mm-hmm. Crazy scrambles against clears, Howe. Clears Howe and, and skates right by him somehow and, like, doesn't get touched and, and gets away without uh, getting covered up on like stuff like that it just makes him legendary and I don't really know how he does it but I think it's a lot of practice for sure he he, he does those things on the regular it's kind of a similar thing with Yanni where sometimes Yanni will pull something off like by the skin of his teeth and like that I don't know how you do that consistently at all um, but I think it's the way they train there's there's something specific going on there but enough about Dake I think you know people are very high on him at this point they're already talking about I mean, people in, in a smaller circle, not a lot of people, but they're already talking about how he matches up with uh, Zarabek Sitikov, the two-time reigning world champion at 74 kilograms, who has two wins over Burroughs and I think more than two wins over Camiso at this point. Uh, so he's definitely the man and pound-for-pound pound number two, most would say. Um, so that's who Take would have to beat to win a world championship if he beats Jordan Burroughs, which is kind of what's looming here. And I would say that people are going to be using this matchup to measure what he's going to be like coming back with Burroughs because Burroughs has basically gone from having a bit of a rivalry with Camizo to 
having a very comfortable read on him and being mm-hmm. able to beat him pretty consistently at this point. Uh, I think Camizo is somebody that you can game a little bit just because he is very reactive. Uh, and I think that kind of feeds into a breakdown on Camizo, and I know you prepared, so I'll let you, I'll let you take, take the lead on him as well. Yeah, he's also a great scrambler. Uh, originally from from Cuba, uh, they're they're kind of known for their leg defense and their scrambling ability. Uh, one thing that I think separates him from Dake in their the way they wrestle defensively is Dake is based on kind of breaking down his opponent's position and limiting their options. Uh, but the way Frank Chimizo wrestles is all about keeping himself <clears throat> keeping himself kind of well positioned and mobile and athletic and you know keeping his hips free uh and so he you know he'll push people down below their knee and then he'll hop and he'll spin and somehow he'll get his leg free and then he'll chase down a single leg and he'll end up scoring uh and he's had some of the most fun and exciting matches in the last 5 years like his whole 2015 and 2017 world championship runs are just super fun to watch. If you haven't watched them, you should go watch those as soon as you're done listening to this. Uh, you know, his matches against like uh, Nevruzov and uh, Asgarov. But I do think that might not play as well against Dake because Dake is so good at getting to the body and getting to the hips where when Dake shoots, he gets high up on the hip Uh and that, that's kind of the one place where Chimizo struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing that I think is interesting in this match is how Chimizo fights underhooks. Uh, where when you underhook him, normal people try and square up and try and get back to facing you. Because when you underhook somebody, you get to an angle. He steps the other way and goes fully on the angle where you're basically side to side. And then he swims his arm out over and either hooks the inside leg for like a Peterson or he goes for the outside leg and takes like a high crotch. Uh, and in uh, in the training video that the, uh, Flo did some kind of promotional thing where they went out to Dake's house and watched him wrestling with Gabe Dean and they were working on that exact position. So it'll be interesting to see how they both handle that. I love to see, uh, to see game planning in wrestling because a lot of the time the nature of the sport is that you don't have time to prepare for a specific person or you're preparing for a lot of people at once. Uh, these pro cards really give people a chance to, to scout and take time to learn someone's game and come up with specific things. And I think that's always been there for Dake. That, you, know, you think about those Deeringer matches. He made it so Deeringer basically couldn't get to any offense at all uh, by controlling the, the specific ties and putting pressure on him in a specific way. So... I think he'll definitely bring something to the table like that against Camizo. I You want him to wrestle a little more open because it's for entertainment purposes. Uh, but I think Dick considers everything a, a winning first type of deal. And there is some inherent excitement to his style, but I don't think he's going to on purpose try to be more exciting. Whereas Camizo, I think it's a, a similar deal where the way he wrestles is super fun to watch, but I think that's just the way he wrestles. And he's not doing anything on purpose. Uh, he just prefers to wrestle that way. Like an example would be if you get to his legs, uh, you know, he's definitely going to do things like, you know, immediately turn to kick out or just stand with the wizard and like try to step over you and keep like hit, just keeping his hips in good position and putting himself in positions where he can easily 
maintain that distance and counter you. I think that's always been the point of Camiso's game is to stay ready for counters no matter what the position is, uh, always leave an avenue for offense, which is something I love about him. And even when his matches aren't super high scoring, it's usually because he's waiting on something for you or he's working on something long-term from his uh, his upper body ties. I've been just you know, poking through a few matches, just to look for something fun to write about. Uh, and the way he sets up his offense from upper body positions, like a lot of the, the judo-based techniques that like, he'll hit, um, there's a fun bit of, uh, you know, positioning going on there where he's like, he knows how to push and pull people. And it's not as dramatic as you might see from like an American doing some push-pull setups where it's basically the first step you take out of place. Kamiza's hitting whatever technique he was setting up. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he hit this uh, this foot sweep off the two-on-one, which I was talking about with Mickey Phillippe earlier. Uh, but basically he, he, hit, he gets this two-on-one position. Not even a pull. He just lifts, he flares up the elbow, lifts the elbow. That brings his opponent taller in their stance, and they are forced to step in to become taller uh, to keep their stance intact. And as soon as he, they do that, he's, he's sweeping out that foot. So like stuff like that. He just has like a sixth sense for knowing exactly what he can do and in what positions. And that makes him very similar to Dick. Uh, but like you said, I, I, he's probably going to be coming up with ways to shut him down and shut down his best positions. He's definitely bigger. Um, I think going upper body will be interesting. <laughs> I don't think Camisa is going to be too afraid to look for his own counters. But uh, Dick doesn't typically go for those riskier positions where you're, uh, you know, sacrificing your own position or like falling back or arching uh with them having the option to bear their weight down on you he's usually in a pretty dominant position like rear standing or uh like a strong body lock uh so it, it probably won't be as available for Camiso to make those situations dangerous and i would like to see them tie up there uh, a couple times at least just to see who comes out if they can get into a couple upper body exchanges and a couple fun scrambling exchanges i'll be happy even if it's low scoring yeah, I mean, Chimizo isn't just a, just waiting for you. It's just mm-hmm. that some, sometimes the way certain people wrestle, they, they don't give him much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he'll he snap your head and then like try and step off to an angle, and then he, he's really quick to chase down a leg when he gets that angle. But if you don't give it to him, if, if he's not able to snap you down, then it's just not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's the criticism of his game thus far. Is if, some, if like someone's not really giving him anything obvious to work with, uh, sometimes he can just kind of cruise through a match and, and leave it up to a couple of crucial exchanges. And I did notice a few times, like everything he does looks so pretty most of the time, but every once in a while he'll cheat <laughs> a little bit mm-hmm. and force something where like he'll create a, a quick separation off the ties and just due to him being so much faster than you, uh, he'll be already like cutting an angle and getting mm-hmm. to, to some crazy position, but um, I would say eighty five percent of the time it's clean. But against guys who are a little more stingy, like um, uh, like even this past world, like it's like uh, Kajiev, who was on fire the whole tournament. That match was definitely a lot slower pace, and Kajiev wasn't giving him anything big, and he had to uh, create some really explosive entries to get those scrambles going and, until Kajiev shot on him. So against a more uh, a more patient style, he's always gonna have to be a little bit more consistent and a higher percentage with his moves, which is, you know, not, not his A game, I would say, necessarily. He, he likes a shootout. I think a shootout serves him well, where there's a lot of opportunities to score a lot of points. Um, unless he's flat better than his opponent, then he can just relax and, and wait for stuff to happen. But against Dake, it, I don't think it's a great matchup for him. 
Yeah, I agree. He he does have that uh, that kind of outside step shot mm-hmm. where he it seems like he catches people by surprise and he's because in the same motion he's lowering his level and he's penetrating in and it, it kind of catches you by surprise. But I think even if he gets in deep, being head outside against Fake is risky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think basically when he gets to Dake's legs, it's still going to be tough for him to score. Whereas when Dake gets in on an attack, uh, he'll get to the hips or get to the body, and it's a really good position for Dake to score from. Mm-hmm. You got to think also that uh, Dake's preparing for Jordan Burroughs. So any outside attacks where it's head outside coming from the outside, it's he's going to be ready for that. He's going to have some reactions drilled in. I'm assuming yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. He, He's definitely somebody who takes game planning pretty seriously. Um, and it, it seemed like that's been true throughout his career, but especially for Burroughs, where basically every year until they made the new weight, he was, all right, I got to beat Burroughs to make a team. And he, he's thought a lot about, you know, how do I break down this specific thing? You know, mm-hmm. this kind of attack or this kind of opponent. For sure. So we're picking Dake? Yeah, I'm picking Dake. Okay. We agreed on every single pick, but I would say there's a high degree of, of volatility with this match. I think a lot of different things could happen just due to the nature of their styles. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like with the past matchups, we talked about some room for uh, other things to happen, but they it's not like they weren't well-matched in terms of like, oh, what level are these guys on. I think just the way the style matchups are being read from our initial glances and for your mm-hmm. more in-depth research. Yeah, the uh, only match they, where they it feels like they're way. just... Go ahead. These guys are not on the same level is probably David Taylor and Miles Martin, mm-hmm. which, I mean, like, it's hard to find somebody who can match up with a world champ. Exactly. That's, that's absolutely the best guy in the world, so there's, like, two or three guys that I would say are close to, to touching him at this point. Mm-hmm. That's okay to not be one of the two or three best guys in the in the world at one of the best Olympic weight classes. That's fine. No harm done. Cool. So this is going to be on uh, July 25th, this event. I will post this as soon as I get everything together. So let's call it the 22nd, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but, but yeah, and also look out for, for Jack's article on Dake and Camizo. It's the, the matchup preview, matchup breakdown. Yeah cool uh so that's gonna be great and then definitely stick around the fight site if you're a wrestling fan one in general because once things start again <laughs> we're gonna have some pretty fun coverage i think now that our team's a little bigger and we have a more uh consistent platform for what we're doing and also seth's rankings will come back and those are the best freestyle rankings in the world of the two sets, I would say those are the superior rankings. So they'll definitely be your, your place to check out, like where the Americans standing, who are the best people in the world, and, and so on. He also does individual rankings for the Russian uh, men's national team. So uh, if you want to get a, a closer look into what their, their national landscape is like, definitely do that. And then at the very end of this month, we will have probably three, probably three articles about Greco-Roman wrestlers, uh, little you know profile feature breakdowns on a uh, a specialist 
an all-time great and somebody who's kind of weird for the sport. So we've done we've done some freestyle, we've done some folk style for this before, and now we're gonna we're gonna go Greco, and then you know eventually I think we'll also do women's freestyle because it's another style, but we got a couple other sports to cover between them. But this is a recurring thing we do uh, with the different combat sports, uh, revolving profiles. So hopefully you enjoy that as well because I think we'll we'll have a few people listening to this who aren't familiar with the site but are wrestling fans. I'm gonna try to get this to you, and hopefully you hear you hear our message. Jack, do you have parting thoughts? Yeah, I'll be writing the one about the uh, the wacky guy. Uh, I'll be writing about Chandler Rogers and how he basically does freestyle moves as a Greco-Roman wrestler. I'm a big Chandler Rogers fan. And he also wrestled folk style like it was a different sport entirely. A sport of his Yeah, he, he, he kind of blends freestyle and folk style and Greco and kind of adapts his game to all of them really really well he's coaching at i want to say he was coaching at air force i make that up that sounds right i don't uh, know he got a coaching gig he, though for sure he's, he's been bouncing around i know he might yeah. be there now he was at the at the otc for a little bit he's he's been yeah he's been all over the place so mm-hmm. you know really looking forward to his coaching career i for some reason i thought he might do mma just because he seemed kind of like a wild card but apparently he's like a very normal wholesome guy so that doesn't really sound right for an MMA career, but coaching's good too. And as long as he keeps wrestling, I'll be happy. Cool. So I think that about that about wraps it up. Uh, definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that. It's the Fight Site Podcast Network. If you're not listening on on that right now, uh, check us out on Patreon. Basically, we create the content that we feel like creating. Uh, and your donations go towards requesting custom content or just getting in touch with us in general. Uh, you can just get more deeply involved with the site through Patreon. You can definitely enjoy our content without it, but I would go check out those benefits and see if there's anything that, uh, that piques your interest. Yeah, this, uh, this Greco series <clears throat> is, uh, is coming from a patron request, so if you That's want true. things like this, please support us. Yes, that's a good reason. Okay, uh, that was a very weak... <laughs> call to action on my part but hopefully you get the message all right i'm gonna sign off and i think we'll be back to talk about the matches after they happen so goodbye <laughs>